If you don't, don't worry. The words will come on the screen later. But we are continuing our psalm series, as Dara said at the beginning of the meeting, songs that shape us. And Psalm 18, um, it's a kind of, it's an important psalm. Not that there's unimportant ones, but we know it's important because it's the longest one so far that we've had in Psalms. Massive 50 verses compared to, I think, Psalm 9 up until this point is the longest with only 20 verses. And But also we know it's important because of the length of the superscription, the bit that kind of the title heading that gives us the context of what's going on. Don't forget, as we've said over the last few weeks, all of these Psalms are rooted in historical moments, things that events that kind of actually happened. And this one, if you've got a Bible, it actually says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. I don't know about you, how many of you have ever had um, a rough day at the office? <laughs> like kind of, or a difficult moment at work, a kind of hardship or or difficulty at home, and you think, oh man, I'm done. <laughs> That's enough for me. I'll be honest with you, I, over the last couple of years especially, I have quit on a few occasions. Uh, there have been a few moments where I have written my resignation letter, um, maybe just in my head, but I've done it, and I'm, I'm done. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to walk. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love my job. I absolutely love working uh, with, a, with some great people. I have the privilege of spending time with people from all sorts of different backgrounds, all lots of incredibly awesome stories. Love seeing what kind of Jesus has done, is doing in people's lives. It's so very, very exciting. Just last week, I was uh, with a guy, I met a guy who um, who had like, seen lots and lots of healings and he had met the Ghanaian football, uh, the Ghanaian deaf football team in an airport in France. And uh, he him and his brother just decided to go and offer to pray for them. So a bunch of them said yes. And eight of the Ghanaian deaf football team were healed there and then and could suddenly hear, hear, which is really awesome, except for the fact they couldn't play in the competition anymore. <laughs> and the funny side of that story is they then, there was a few different teams in this airport and they literally like then went and saw another team and said, hey, you've just seen what we've done with them. Do you want, to pray, do you want us to pray for you too? And they all said no. <laughs> well, that was really, like, really cool. Like eight deaf international football players just in an airport healed. Awesome story. Last week, I was, uh, some of you in this room were there, was at the New Ground, the family of churches that we part of, prayer days. And um, highlight from, there was loads of cool things, but highlight for me was this guy called John uh, from Yemen. He wasn't actually originally called John, but when he became a Christian, he changed his name to John and he got wonderfully saved um, from Islam uh, from out of Islam, and he ended up in Liverpool, and he ended up as uh, an asylum, uh, an asylum kind of uh, centre, like detention kind of centre thing. And ultimately, he got connected. Uh, we got a church in Liverpool, and got connected with our church there. And long story cut short, they basically said, "Come and spend some time with us," and asked him, "What would you like to do?" And he said, "I'd like to go." 
to the asylum centre and tell people about Jesus. And they're like, it's not the way the UK works. You're not actually allowed to do that. We can't just turn up there. It's like a government kind of thing. We can't do that. So like, realistically, what would you like to do? And he said, I'd like to go to the asylum centre thing and tell people about Jesus. Yeah, okay. Let me introduce you to this thing called bureaucracy and law in the UK. That's just not possible. We're not allowed to just do that. What would you like to do? And he said, I'm not sure you're hearing me. I would like to turn up the... Anyway, long story short, they prayed. And then they get a call from the, uh, the contractor who has the contract from the government for these things and said, would you be interested and open to becoming and being the chaplains at one of our asylum centres? Um, yes, okay. And they turn up and it happens to be the place that this guy had been in when he first came to the UK. And they said to him, they said to them, look, we'll just be straight with you. There are a few rules regarding you being the, the chaplains here. Rule number one is you have to come every week. Rule number two is you have to wear high-vis jackets that say Christian on the back. Are you okay with that? So they're not really allowed to kind of then proselytise or tell people about Jesus. But this guy just introduces himself as as John and they take one look at him and like, you are not called John. And then just in Arabic, just he's able to then share the gospel with people and tell his story. And the, the awesome, I chatted to him a bit later, the awesome stories of people from Muslim backgrounds, from different parts of the Arabic speaking world, getting saved, becoming Christians and being totally transformed by the power of the gospel. So really very exciting. Just over the last couple of years, Han and I have uh, connected with um, a bunch of younger leaders because we're technically still younger leaders um, from a church in the Northeast and uh, kind of hung out with some of those guys. And there's a couple called Martin and Linda Dunkley, who if you're of, of a certain age in this church, you will remember them. They both got saved in from around here and into this church many, many years ago. And they, uh, they head up all the stuff that's going up, up in the Northeast. And they're on average at the moment over the last couple of years seeing about 15 people come to faith every single month, which is really quite exciting. Every single week there's people responding to the gospel and they have, to use our kind of language, they make a big deal of prioritising the least, the last and the lost. And they've got all sorts of incredible initiatives going on there. And just last week they had an event where 35 people confessed they put their trust in Jesus Christ. It's the power of the gospel. I absolutely love that. Just last week, you know, One Church News shared the story of a lady called Katie who not from any Christian background whatsoever. One of our communities just giving outreach and building relationship into the local estate where they live, introduced her to Jesus, shared the gospel with her, gave her a Bible. She encounters Jesus, has her life transformed and we baptised her in the, in the back garden of somebody's house in one of those paddling pool things. Really, really exciting stuff. I love this. I love spending time with community leaders who are like, I want some of that. I want to see it in my area. Not just, not just happy about having a nice little gathering of Christians. I want to see the least, the last and the lost lives transformed by the power of Jesus. I absolutely love this stuff. Last, just last week at youth, Hannah and I have kind of been pulled back into youth stuff, which is quite fun and exciting. Having once done that a long time ago, just kind of dusting off all the kind of old games and thinking, oh yes, maybe we can roll these out again. This is fun. And I was there last Tuesday and one young person gave their life to Christ, having never actually done it again. And they did that off, having never done it before. And they, they did that off the back of a very, very very, 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 very ordinary talk. And I know it was ordinary because I gave it. It was like, oh, this is not landing at all. And yet Jesus broke in into someone's life. So really very exciting. Love this stuff. And yet I'm not immune from finding it tough. Not immune from wanting to quit. Not immune from, um, I know like you would not believe this, but not immune from getting stressed. (laughs) Not immune from kind of thinking, oh, I'm done. It's too much like hard work. 
I sometimes, if I'm being honest, feel like the pressure is it's too much. This is a challenge beyond me. I don't, I don't really want this and I don't really want to do it and I can't do it. So on a few occasions, I've quit. Literally, that's it. Hannah, I'm done. Quit. And I go to bed and I go to sleep. And then I wake up the next morning like, all right, then let's do it again. <laughs> and in part, the reason we do that, go again, even when it's tough and when it's difficult, is because my life fundamentally, I'm not saying I'm claiming remotely close to being perfect, far from it, but my life fundamentally at root, at core, is shaped by the Word of God and not the world in which we live. And as I read the Psalms, these Psalms that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, I read all the stuff in Psalm 1 and in Psalm 2. There is this ashray, this happiness, this abundance, this, this blessing, this it is all promised for the righteous, not because of anything we have done, but because of the fact that Psalm 2 says there is a king who is on the throne, who rules with all authority. We sung about him, we were reminded about him this morning, and I'm like, yes, I believe that to be true. I believe with all my heart that there is a king on the throne who one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I believe with all my heart that he's in the business of changing lives. I believe with all my heart that he's gathering people from every tribe and every tongue and every everything. And one day we will gather with him and the people from every tribe and every tongue and every everything around the throne and cast down crowns and all that exciting, wonderful stuff. I believe it and I want to be part of it. But then I carry on reading the Psalms and I realise that to be part of this means there are going to be moments of struggle and toil and hardship. These Psalms that we're looking at in, in this mini-series, in this series, are from book one of the Psalms, and pretty much all of them are the Psalms of David, who's the king. And you pause for a moment and think, oh, I think I've got a bit of pressure <laughs> in my life, and I forget, oh, hang on a minute, these are Psalms of David. He was leading one of the most powerful nations in the region a nation that had the additional responsibility of being the people of God. And so when I'm tempted to think that my life and my job is a bit stressful, I have to remember that I haven't had a son who's tried to kill me recently, not to my own knowledge anyway. That the guy I took over from, he hasn't tried to kill me recently either. Again, not to my knowledge. <laughs> I don't have to lead. I'm so grateful I don't have to lead the most pig-headed and rebellious people on the planet. No more comment required. But all of that, is David's experience, right? Psalm 18 then is this celebration of the way God has delivered David repeatedly through difficult moments. And it's pretty much identical, if you know your Bibles, it's pretty much identical to a song that is found in, in, uh, and sung in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And 1 and 2 Samuel, right back in the Old Testament, tell the story of David. And some of us know this story. He was a shepherd boy and then ultimately anointed to be king. And in 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed by the Holy Spirit. This is important. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the king. And in verse 13 of 1 Samuel 16, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So the Holy Spirit anoints him as king and the Spirit of the Lord fills him and rushed upon him from that day forward. So all the days of David's life then are marked by the presence, the fullness of the Spirit of God. And you can kind of think, yeah. So this shepherd boy, this former shepherd who's been chosen to be a king, he's introduced to the royal court. He becomes the current king's favourite. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's all, he's all kind of like moving forward to his destiny. It's all going to kind of be excellent. Called, chosen, anointed, filled with the Spirit. All good. 
but then everything goes wrong. Sure, there were some good moments, but there was an awful lot of not good moments. Royal favor becomes jealousy. Jealousy becomes murderous hate. David takes to the hills and David runs. Things are really not good. You just have to look at the, uh, some of the Psalms and the titles of the Psalms um, from beforehand. Like Psalm 3, save me, oh my God. That's the Psalm about when uh, he had to flee from Absalom, his son, who tried to kill him. Psalm 10, why do you hide yourself? Psalm 12, the faithful have vanished. Psalm 13, how long, O oh Lord? Psalm 16, you will not abandon my soul. It's like, please God. Here's the important thing to remember. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. All this bad stuff in his life, all the trial, all the tribulation, all the toil, all the struggle, all the hardship, didn't happen because the Holy Spirit was withdrawn. It'd be much easier if you go, Holy Spirit's on him. Now it's not. Oh, that's why bad things happen. Now the Holy Spirit's present, all good again. No, 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 no. David's still filled with the Spirit. And yet he still experienced trial and pain and struggle and at times suffering. We forget this at great cost. See, the reality is being one of the king's people, being filled with the Spirit, is no guarantee that everything is going to be smooth and wonderful. Acts 14.22 tells us that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. And if Christians are like, yes, and then they face it, they're like, oh, through many tribulations. Just think about Jesus. No sooner is he filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, he's led in the, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Literally, that's the very next thing that happens. It's almost as if you could say the Holy Spirit and conflict kind of belong together. Not that he brings the conflict, but you feel with the Spirit, you're going to face some stuff. And we would do well not to forget that. Now, we, of course, let's get into Psalm 18. We, of course, are not David. These Psalms are not directly about us. We might kind of be able to connect with some of the emotions in these psalms. We might be able to identify with some of their experience. But ultimately, they're not ours. Psalm 18 is a psalm of David. But ultimately, it's a psalm that is fulfilled, as we looked at a few weeks ago, in Jesus. Paul in Romans 15 and in Galatians 3, he quotes this psalm and he basically says, it's all about Jesus. And therefore, we can sing it because of Jesus. If our lives, if we put our trust in Jesus, we are, our lives are hidden in him, we can now sing this song. And it's important to understand as we sing these psalms that there's a sense in which as we sing them, as we declare these truth, as we pray this truth, as we say yes and amen, it's like we're kind of, we're actually signing up for all the stuff that takes place in it. It's a bit like we're acknowledging, okay, I can say this psalm, right, this is going to now be my lived experience. I'm going to align my life now with these psalms. All the good stuff and all of the difficult stuff too. We are acknowledging as we sing these that Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who perfectly lived this stuff out. We can't. But that's the whole wonder of the gospel, right? The great exchange. Jesus takes all of our muck, all of our rubbish, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of that. He takes all the punishment that we deserve. He took it all upon himself on the cross. And in exchange, he gives us his life, his righteousness, his peace, his joy. All the fullness of who he is is now ours. But this come to Jesus and all your problems go away is a false nonsense gospel that is damaging and not true. It sets us, if we think that, come at Jesus and everything is going to be great forevermore and never hit a hiccup 
ever again. Now, it will be great forevermore in an eternal sense, but right now in this life, it's actually a damaging gospel because it's not the gospel, it's false. And it sets us with false expectations. But come to Jesus and look what we actually do get. Because of Jesus, with deep confidence, every promise contained in him, in this word, is coming our way. Let's sing this song together. Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am safe from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. We should have real, real, real deep confidence in the security that refuge in God, in refuge in the king, there's no refuge from the king, there's only refuge in him, refuge in, the, in God, all that that promises, we should have deep confidence in it. David did. No matter what he faced, David allowed his view of the world to be shaped by who God is rather than by what he would be facing. And we must too. Nowhere else in the whole of the Psalms are there so many words for God as there are in these first two verses. Strength. It's that understanding. God is strong, so we don't have to be. Because you and I, really, we're not. I mean, we can try and pretend for a little while, but the reality is we're not. And because He is strong, and He is from everlasting to everlasting, He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, we are free now to be weak. Don't have to put on a show. Don't have to put on a pretense. Don't have to claim that we got it all together. You and I are not strong. He is, and He doesn't slumber or sleep. And so He is our strength. He's our rock too. You know, the, He is the rock upon which we stand. It just breeds such confidence, like knowing that as you walk forward, the next step you take, you're not going to stumble and you go again and you're not going to suddenly sink and you go again and you stand there and you go, He's a solid rock upon which I stand. You're ever walking through like quicksand or whatever and you're kind of uh, not entirely sure where you can put your foot. It's just such a, so many people live like that. If I do this, what's going to happen? If I go there, what's going to happen? If this, they make this decision, if I make that decision and if I worry about this and if I worry about that, you're never quite sure where you're going to put your feet. What a kind of thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly difficult place to live. But when you know that your feet are on the rock, who does not move, and that rock is one big one, right? It's not just stand here and don't move. It's as I go here, the rock. As I go there, there's a rock. As I go here, there's a rock. As I step into that situation, my feet are on the rock. I can have my head, eyes up because I'm not needing to check where my feet are all the time, which means no matter what happens, I am secure on this rock. He too is my fortress. Oh my goodness, just think of the imagery. God is my fortress. I am safe and secure within the walls. Step outside the walls, not so safe within these walls. He is my fortress. I can go wherever I go. This fortress, it moves. I'm, I am secure within it. He's my shield too, just like 
Think about that for a moment. Just the imagery of war and a shield. This is a shield which encompasses and surrounds us. Every blow, every fiery dart of accusation that comes against us, shield, shield, shield. Every time there's a light, shield. Every time there's something that is not true about, shield. It's just, it changes everything. Drop the shield. Wow. Ow, ow, ow. It begins to hurt. And truthfully, life so often isn't lots and lots of big fatal blows. It's like, more like death by a thousand paper cuts. It's just a little thing and a little thing. Again, ow, 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 ow. And after a while, your hands are bleeding, right? Because those things hurt. Get that shield up. Get that shield up. Get that shield up. Nothing's coming. Nothing's coming. It doesn't stack. It doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. It bounces off. It bounces off. It bounces off. He is my shield. He's my stronghold. And he's the horn of my salvation. Like, Horn, in a biblical sense, means it just carries an abundance of different meanings. There's lots of stuff. There's obviously, we know, horns on rhinos and things like that, right? There's kind of, I don't know what they're for, but they're not for Chinese medicine. There is something in terms of actually charge and attack. But actually, horn carries with it all these different meanings. It carries strength and power and victory. It really is a symbol of power. This also carries the kind of, uh, there's horns attached in the Old Testament to the altar. Around the corner of the altar, there was these little horns and they were dabbed with blood. So it becomes also a symbol of refuge and of sanctuary. Jesus in Luke 1 is called the horn of our salvation because he is both strong and triumphant and powerful, gives this salvation which cannot be taken away, but he also gives refuge and atonement. Literally, that word atonement just literally means at one with God. He gives us that at one with God. However strong our spiritual foe might appear, appear, the horn of our salvation is stronger. This is who God is. And David knows this and declares it, and so must we. And David just declares he's just worthy of praise. Just declares it. Don't matter if he never does anything again. He's all of these things. He is worthy of praise. To what are you looking to shape your worldview? Are you going to look at your circumstances, the surrounding stuff, the pressure, the pain, all that kind of stuff? Or are you going to look at the unchanging God and declare that he is in fact all the things that David here declares he is. And the choice that you make in that, where you're going to take your influence from, will determine how you get through your toughest days. We need to have a deep confidence in the security and the refuge that God brings. How quickly we are to become self-reliant. Oh my gosh, how quick. I am, I am so, so guilty of this in so many ways. Preach. Proves, and then it comes to this moment, you think, I've been wronged. Right, I'm going to defend myself then. <laughs> I, I need to answer that. Someone's just, and in, most of the time, they don't dare do it to my face. It's like, I hear a whisper of this and this and this and this. And you think, right, that's it. God, I'm going to take him down. <laughs> I'm going to defend myself. Well, what am I doing? What am I doing? He's my shield. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to come and attack. Or I kind of have these modes, face a challenge. You think, right, how am I going to get out of this? Or face a problem and think, I don't know. So what I'll do is spend many more hours late at night, caffeine fueled, thinking about it and planning through every single eventuality. And like, if that happens, that might happen. If that happens, that might happen. And then I'll get up even earlier because there's not enough hours in the day to fit everything in. And I've got to figure this out. And I think, what am I doing? 
What am I doing? He's the lifter of my head. What am I doing? He's the horn of my salvation. What am I doing? Or whatever it might be, I'm struggling on the financial thing. You think, right, okay, is there any way I can, I'm not very good at this, but can I sell some more stuff on eBay and do that? I've never sold anything on eBay. I got as far as thinking about it. And, or can I do this? And can I do that? And it couldn't move it here. No, 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 he's Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider in every situation. Or if I'm lacking wisdom, so often I'm sort of like, well, I, need, I need some wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask. How quickly I can go to self-reliance. No, 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 I need to remind myself and again and again, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He is my refuge. And we can have that confidence because of the salvation that God brings. And we see this salvation in the next few verses works itself out in both a big cosmic sense and a deeply personal way. For when you call upon the Lord, look at verse seven, then the earth reeled and rocked and the foundations also of the mountains, they trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water and out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord almost also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high and he took me. He drew me out of many waters he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me they confronted me in the day of my calamity but the Lord was my support he brought me out into a broad place he rescued me because he delighted in me some pretty vivid stuff here right like God in his heavenly fortress takes notice of David's need and he comes rushing. Verse eight speaks of God responding to David's danger as though he were an angry dragon. Verses 10 through 15 picture his coming as if he was a raging thunderstorm. David in verses 16 through 19 kind of portrays his rescue as if his enemies are swirling in waters about to drown him, but God plucks him out and sets him on a broad place on ground that is high and dry and safe and secure. This is about David's rescue, but you know, David, if you read his story, he didn't actually literally experience a lot of these things. Now we know God, as we read throughout the Old Testament, actually did literally do a load of these things. Joshua 10, he hurls large hailstorms from heaven. Exodus 14, he divides the waters and, and so on. David, the point is, David knows that God has rescued him. But we also know that this is about something bigger going on. This is a picture of the cosmic shaping, earth-moving, reality-altering, life-changing moment that God the Father 
reached down in his son, Jesus Christ, to bring rescue for us. Look at verse 19 with me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. On that moment on the cross, earth shakes, darkness comes, the wrath of God is poured out and God himself comes down. And this side of the cross, we see Galatians 2, 20, uh, God came down from heaven for us because he loved us and he gave himself for us. On the cross, he demonstrates his unbelievable love and delight in us through Jesus. He takes on and crushes every enemy that we will ever face. Every single enemy on the cross, every power, every principality, every everything, he takes it on on the cross and defeats it. And Colossians 1.22 tells us that now he is reconciled in his body of, of flesh by his death in order to present you and me, us as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Wow, the Lord deals with us, not according to our righteousness, not according to our performance, because it is sketchy and patchy at best, but according to His perfect one, Jesus, the utterly righteous, utterly sinless one. What confidence then this gives us, the consistent faithfulness of God who always acts like this. He will always rend the heavens for the sake of the pure and blameless man of Psalm 1. And that is not you and it is not I, but it is Jesus and our lives are now hidden in Him. Verse 20, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from, from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands in His sight. I mean, who can sing this? Like how many of us can say, yeah, yeah, me, got it sorted. No, absolutely none of us. What an incredible gospel that because of the perfect performance of Jesus, what we now have a salvation and we now can say, I can join in with this stuff because of my righteousness that Jesus has credited to me. He is with me and He is for me and He delights in me. What a God. Verse 25, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against the troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. We are to have this unbelievable, deep confidence in the salvation that this King, this God has won for us. And we're to have a deep confidence that because this King rules and because this King reigns, we are, that this King is building His people, that this King is building His church, that we are part of something that cannot fail and will always prevail. Jesus is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's, that's from Matthew 16. And that, that Jesus is 
building his church. Yes, the gates of hell will not prevail. Think about what that means. That is not defensiveness on our behalf. The gates of hell will not prevail. That means that the kingdom of God, the people of God, the light will always shine into the darkness. That the gates of hell will not stop the people of God from plundering and going into his backyard and dragging people out of darkness and into light. And this incredible rescue that God has won for us from Psalm 18 is not just about so we're all safe and secure. It's not just about being defensive over here. It turns from defence, frankly, into attack. Let's look at verse 31. For who is the who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust through them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortress. Like this is poetry, right? We get that. These are songs. This is, these, this is poetry. But you can, you can just feel the excitement of attack and pursuit. The people of God are not cowering somewhere on the back foot. They are relentlessly, relentlessly moving forward. They are conquering here and destroying there. Now, before you start going, oh my gosh, this is getting all a little bit over the top. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? This is not against people but against principalities and powers and so I crush some Ghanaian deaf footballers no of course not crush the forces of sickness and disease which had prevented them from living in the fullness of all that God had for them this sense of an Arabic family rescued out of Islamic stronghold is not well now we've done fought them and beaten them no 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 push back against the forces of evil and darkness which have covered the eyes of their hearts so they're locked in spiritual bondage and now they're They've been broken free and now they're alive. This is what it's about. The kingdom of God advancing again and again and again. In the New Testament, think about that moment where Jesus sends out the 72 and he says, heal the sick, declare the kingdom. And you read the story as they come back and it says that they returned with joy. Of course they returned with joy. They'd just seen sick people healed. They'd just seen demons cast out. They'd just seen death being brought into life. They'd just seen lost people found. Wow, there's a sense in which... The stuff I shared at the beginning, if you are a believer, your heart rises to it and goes, yeah, that's awesome. I want a bit of that. That is what we're talking about here. That is the exciting adventure of doing the King's work. You know, the Lord equips those He's called. 
He rescues. He pulls us out of the dominion of darkness and he brings us into the kingdom of light. And then he leaves us and says, that's it. Now just get in your... No, he doesn't. He sends us back into the darkness, fully equipped, fully equipped to bring about his victory. We are to have confidence in the work of God and in our part of the story. And in the end, in the end, the promise of Psalm, eight, uh, Psalm 2, verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. In the end, he will. Look at verse 43, because he is the head of the nations. He will bring salvation to all. He will rule and reign with absolute authority and absolute supremacy. Look at verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring. That's you and I forever. You know, as we sing this psalm, as we sign up for all that's in it, we enter into the sufferings of the Messiah and we share his confidence in his Father God. We rejoice in his salvation that's our hope and we watch as he conquers the world and we join in all the world in, in praising with him the rock-like goodness of his and our Father God. And the key to our response here, finish with this, the key to our response to this psalm is found in Romans 15 verse 9. Paul cites verse 49 of Psalm 18 and says the whole purpose, our whole purpose is that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. There's a reason we say we exist to make disciples, family members and missionaries of all nations to the glory of God because that's the king's work and as the king's people we're about the work of the king. God's protection for us, be confident in that, brothers and sisters. God's protection for us is not that we might draw in, but that we might push out. The unbreaking promises of God are not to be hoarded to look after self. They are be to leveraged for the prioritizing the least, the last, and the lost. Christ the rock is the foundation from which we launch out for the sake of the world. And Christ the King is the warrior who leads the church out in battle for souls throughout the nations because Jesus is the one who is leading this thing. Victory is assured. Mm. Revelation eleven fifteen: the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and out of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. 
He's healing deaf football players. He's rescuing Muslims and sending them out to make disciples of all nations. He's on the move. Let us be confident in this. Let this be our song, that the Lord lives. He's the head of the nations. Blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Jesus, you are the head of the nations. And we say you are good and you are God and you are the King who rules and reigns. Thank you that you are our rock. Thank you that you are our refuge. Thank you for all the promises of God that find their yes and amen in you and they're coming to us now. Oh Lord, strengthen these feeble souls. Strengthen these feeble bones. Thank you that you equip, you train our hands for war. Thank you this is not about coming in, but pushing out. Thank you your protection for us is not that we might draw in, but that we might push out again and again and again. And let your praise ever be on our lips. Let your praise ever be on our lips. One day we will join the multitude from every tribe and every everything saying, worthy are you, worthy are you, worthy are you. But as for now, in this house, we say, worthy are you. And we give ourselves to you, the King. And we give ourselves to you, the King, to the King's mission, gathering for himself a people from every everything, every kind of background, every walk of life to the glory of God. And we declare together, all hail the Lamb, enthroned on high, his praise shall be our 